job, John. Praise God for those bloodstains. We are going to be in Luke chapter 2. It's interesting how God uh, plans the service. Uh, Michael has, has uh, focused on, uh, on this portion of Scripture as well, and, and uh, I think it's very interesting. So Luke chapter 2, let's, uh, let's read down through verse 7. If you'll stand with me in honor of God's great truth, uh, His Word. His Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. Interesting. And all who went to be taxed, excuse me, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with, his, with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Lord, thank you for these precious words about the birth of Jesus. Thank you for the very meaning of, of that word, Jesus, Savior. Lord, he is our Savior. Thank you for him. Thank you for the word, the word of truth. And the word became flesh, and it did dwell among us. And Lord, we pray that this morning you've already been glorified and we pray that you would continue to be honored and glorified, that things would be done uh, to your honor in every possible way that we can do it. In Jesus' sweet name, amen. You may be seated. I've entitled this message, God Has a Plan. Uh, I, I tell you, as I was studying for this, uh, there, was, there was so much more uh, you know, I preached a sermon one time. I went to Kansas and preached a sermon, and I think I may have kept them for two hours. It's unbelievable. I, I you know, that was when I was young, and and uh, you know, a, after that, a preacher told me. He said, "You can't tell them everything in one one message." So, uh, but there was so much in studying for this message, uh, and and so, but one thing that I realize. And I realized it in studying for this message. God has a plan. And what we're going we're gonna to do is we're going to vividly, I believe we'll vividly see God at work uh, in the birth of Christ, through the birth of Christ. Last week, we looked at Gabriel's announcement to Zacharias that he, Zacharias, and Elizabeth were going to have a baby. And now they were older they were past childbearing years, Elizabeth was, in old age. As a matter of fact, she was barren, and I think that's interesting. That, and that, of course, their, their baby was John the Baptist. And then we saw that same angel, Gabriel, announce to Mary that she had found favor with God, 
and she was going to have a baby, and you remember this, Mary was a virgin. So uh, what we might consider impossibilities, both of those, but I am so thankful that Gabriel reminded us of a very important scripture over in Luke 1, 37. And, and boy, this is a powerful verse to remember, Luke 1, 37. Gabriel says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And to that, I say, amen. So nothing is impossible with God. And that's why that in the New Testament, in Philippians, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Whatever situation God puts me in, I can do this. And so that is important, such a powerful verse. And so it's essential that we remember that. In this morning's text, and we're going to go all the way down through verse 20 uh, as we look at this, at, at the context of what's being said here, but we're going to look at that. Nothing is impossible. We're going to see the power of God, the control of God, uh, His sovereignty in this whole uh, text, uh, for with God nothing shall be impossible. So we're going to look at three groups of people. Now the first one is an individual, Caesar Augustus. Okay. The second is a couple, Joseph and Mary. And then the last group of people, the last group we're going to look at are the shepherds. So we're going to look at Caesar Augustus, Joseph and Mary, and then the shepherds. So let's jump right in with Caesar Augustus. If you're taking notes, uh, this is a great one to take notes on. Okay, I learned a lot in preparation for this message. I've never preached this, uh, this particular message anywhere else. This is brand new uh, from the throne of God. I believe that with all my heart. Uh, write this down. Caesar Augustus had no power. You might write absolutely no power except what had been given him from God. He had absolutely no power. Now, it looked like he did. Most powerful man in the world at the time, you might say. But uh, I want you to look at that first uh, verse there. It says, and it came to pass in those days. Now, that's a very important phrase. And it, it, it signifies this is not some kind of once upon a time story, uh, not some make-believe story. But Luke, remember now, we mentioned this last, last week, there's a high possibility Luke was not a Jew, but he was. there's a high possibility because of, because of what is said about him in Colossians. There's a high possibility that he was not a Jew, uh, and, but he was a doctor, but he, and he provides us with some, uh, some historical anchors. And one of those, of course, is Caesar Augustus. And so uh, let me tell you about Caesar Augustus. Uh, Caesar Augustus was the great nephew of a man that you have heard of by the name of Julius Caesar. And uh, he uh, was eventually adopted by his, what would that be, his great uncle. He was eventually adopted by him as his son. 
and so uh, and became an official heir. It was official in 45 BC that he was the official heir or an official heir of Julius Caesar. And then just uh, if I'm remembering correctly, Julius Caesar within that time period when he says this man is my official heir, he's my great nephew, he has my blood in him, within a year Julius Caesar dies. And so there's a struggle between basically three guys, okay? Uh, Caesar Augusta, his name was Octavian, Octavian. And then you've heard of uh, Antony and Cleopatra, okay? All that was happening at this time. And so uh, the, and then there was another guy, and I cannot remember his name, but it starts with an L. There were, it was like there was war between these three to who was going to take control of, uh, of what was under Rome around the Mediterranean Sea. And so uh, in and eventually Octavian wins, and he becomes the man in control of what was Rome. And so what was their, their whole, they had control of that whole area around the Mediterranean Sea. But in 27 B.C., this is a big date, in 27 B.C., you remember Rome was set up with a senate, and every man was under the law. And they functioned at uh, somewhat of a high level uh, with respect to how things had been previously. But in 27 B.C., the crucial date, Octavian went before the Roman Senate, and he uh, arranged for the Roman Senate to give him the title Augustus. Now, that's a crucial name, and that, that name Augustus means exalted. It means sacred. So here he is considered, uh, and there's some religious ties in that, he is considered the Savior of the world. He's the exalted one. And so that is, he, he becomes, he's, he's called Caesar Augustus at that point. And so Rome was uh, no longer a republic but Rome was an empire at this point, and he is the Roman emperor. So uh, that is uh, a short history of Caesar Augustus. Now look at this. He says, it says uh, in verse 1 that all the world should be taxed. Okay, see that phrase at the end of verse 1? Uh, this was a registration. It, it was a census but it wasn't for simple record-keeping. Uh, these people were going to be taxed uh, efficiently and effectively. And so as I studied for this and I began to read about uh, that taxing, uh, Caesar Augustus, Octavian, had in his mind more than likely that, well, we'll make it as easy on them as possible, and so everybody will go to their, uh, their home city, so to speak, the city of, of, of their, their forefather. And, uh, of course, uh, Joseph and Mary Joseph uh, of the lineage of David. Uh, so the city of David was Bethlehem, of course. And so, but I think in Octavian's mind or in Caesar Augustus' mind was it won't be so bad because they'll be around family, people they hadn't seen in a long time. And so 
maybe trying to make it uh, as palatable as possible. But this was the first enrollment. This was the first one. And there's another one that's mentioned over in Acts chapter 5. And it seems to be a little bit different one. I believe it's down about verse 37, if I'm not mistaken. You can write that down, Acts 5, 37. Another taxing that takes place. But that's not, that's not this one. It doesn't seem like. So this is the first one. Now look at verse 2. It says, And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. So there's another historical anchor that Luke gives us. I'm so grateful for Luke and uh, so grateful that God in, uh, inspired these words, breathed these words to Luke. Now, Caesar Augustus may have thought something like this. I make a command and the whole Roman world has to obey it. Can you imagine that? But really, he was not all that powerful. He wasn't all that powerful. As a matter of fact, write this down. We won't turn there. But in John 19, verses 10 and 11, John 19, verses 10 and 11, I'm going to paraphrase. Jesus is before another Roman official by the name of Pilate. By the name of Pilate. And Pilate says something to him like this, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I can do? And Jesus says these words over in John 19, verses 10, 11. He says, you have no power except what is given you from above. And it's the same with Caesar Augustus. He had no power except what was allowed him from above. And that principle is the same even to this day. That's what the Bible teaches. It teaches it in Romans and there and in in uh, in first first or second Peter it teaches this. There is these Rome, these uh, government officials have no power except what is allowed from above. God was orchestrating something and he was orchestrating something very very special. And Caesar Augustus was a tool in the hand of God. That's very important to remember. We have a president that uh, on the outside looks very powerful, but he only has the power that is granted him from above. We have to keep that in mind. And that's the same with any president that has ever happened or any king we might see on the world scene. Someone that might be there and might even scare us a little bit. We have to realize that this man, this individual, this group of people have no power except what has been given them from above. God is in control. And Caesar Augustus was a tool in the hand of God. Now, I want you to write this verse down. Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2. That is a crucial verse. In Micah 5.2, God promised, we'll put it that way, God says through Micah that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem of Judea. 
And God always keeps his promises. Amen? He always keeps his promises. I, I have broken a promise or two in my life. Have you? That's not characteristic of God. He always keeps his promises. And so uh, he promised in Micah 5.2 that the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. Now, I had an opportunity to go to Israel some years ago, and I went on, I think I've told you, I went on a senior trip, not a senior high school trip, uh, but I went with a group of senior adults, and I was in my 20s, so it's been a while ago, and uh, it was a wonderful trip because we, I, was, I was one of the four men that went, one of the four, uh, what I would call, young men that went, and I carried the bags. That's what I did. And so we traveled slow, and uh, or should I say we traveled slowly, and when we went to a spot, we just sat down and just enjoyed. It wasn't just, let's go here, here, here. And so there was, uh, the, the pre I went with the preacher that had led me to the Lord when I was a young man. I was a young boy. And so it was a very special trip. And there was a, the next day, the next, one of the, you know, as we went to sleep one night, the next morning we were all going to get up and go to Masada. Now you've heard of Masada. And the preacher came in, the preacher that led me to the Lord. He was the man in charge on this trip. Uh, he came into my room uh, and uh, nudged me, woke me up, and he said, hey, let's you and I go to Bethlehem while the rest of them go to Masada. I said, let's go. And so he and I, he had been there numerous times. Our church had a, a mission in Taibe, Israel. And so he uh, was a mission to the, uh, to the, the, the uh, Muslims that are in, in uh, Israel. And so he and I drove down to, uh, well, actually we took a taxi down to Bethlehem. And uh, we went, he knew a, 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 the owner of a jewelry store there. We went into a jewelry store, went in the very back of the jewelry store, and we had coffee on the floor, some of the strongest coffee I've ever had in my life. And uh, I bought my wife a little, uh, a, a little necklace there. But Bethlehem, oh, it's, it is so special. Bethlehem. It's about five miles outside of, outside of Jerusalem. So, how does, if you are, let's just pretend, how does God get a young couple who is living in Nazareth? Uh, Josh, if you could throw that up here. Uh, you can see Nazareth up there at the top, Galilee. See Nazareth, let's see if I have my pointer. You can see, you can see my pointer right there. Nazareth. That's where they were living, and you can see down here at the bottom is Bethlehem. Now, it's going south, but it's uphill, okay? They're having to go uphill. Now, how does, how does God get a couple who's living up there, uh, how does he get them to travel? And they might not be inclined to travel because she's, she is way far along. How does he get them down to Bethlehem? And it's about 80 miles. It looks like it's just a hop, skip, and a jump. It's about 80 miles uphill. And so uh, just work through the political savior of the world by the name of Caesar Augustus. 
and uh, use him as a pawn in the plan. Everybody's got to go to the home city and get taxed. See, God is at work. God was in control of the entire set of circumstances regarding Caesar Augustus and regarding the birth of Jesus Christ. God was orchestrating everything for his plan, and he has a plan today. Now, I was visiting with my wife, and uh, she's a teacher, and she was teaching her, she, she told me here recently, she said I was teaching my students about Caesar Augustus. And, and uh, so I wanted to be sure and mention this to you. I, my wife probably, uh, uh, she, she hears the sermon before you guys do oftentimes. And so um, she said, you know, Caesar Augustus seemed to be focused on himself. And he did. He seemed to be focused on himself, and he was missing what was really important. He was focused on who he was. And he was, he was the leader during the birth of the true Savior of the world. And he was missing it. And see, oftentimes, I, I, young people, listen to me. I have told my children this so often. It's interesting how this happens. When we're young, we make decisions that we end up living out. You're going to make decisions as a young person, and you're going to end up living them out. There are, this room is filled with people that today they are living out decisions they made when they were a young person. Young people, listen. The decisions we make we end up living out. It is so important for us to get our minds off of ourselves as we, as we live our lives so that we can make the decisions based on eternity. That's crucial. We have to make the decisions based on eternity, not based on me. Caesar Augustus seemed to be missing what was really important. So Caesar Augustus had no power, this is important to remember, had no power except what had been given him from God. Let's go on to Joseph and Mary. If you're keeping notes, if you're taking notes, write this down about Joseph and Mary. It looked like Joseph and Mary were all alone, but God was with them. How simple is that? It looked like they were all by themselves. But God was with him. Let's look at verse 4. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. She's way far along. And I would bet you, I'm not a betting man, but I would bet you that as they lived in Nazareth, there were those that didn't believe what she was saying, what they were saying. Uh, you, you, uh, you mean Joseph's not the father? He's not the biological father? And so, no doubt, they were ridiculed, maybe looked down on, Let's continue reading. And it says in verse 6, And so it was that while they were there, 
Now that, that means while they were in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There's probably gossip, but God was their comforter. I praise God for this young couple. He was their anchor that was holding them steady when people were looking down on them, people talking about them. And it says that she brought forth her firstborn son. You know, that really struck me. Notice, notice the simplicity there in that verse. And she brought forth, in verse 7, her firstborn son. Now, that, that struck me. It, it, it's, it's striking. Uh, in our age, in our modern age, small ev- events are often inflated. Have you ever seen that? You see it on the news all the time. Small events are overinflated with overdescription. They're exaggerated and presented as more important than they actually are. We see that in the news all the time. Yet, right here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke presented this most amazing event in an understated manner. Just almost understated. Just very simplistic. And she brought forth her firstborn son. That's it. That is a huge event. Now, it says that she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now, those are more than likely, I looked this up, more than likely, that is torn pieces of cloth. She wrapped him in that. Wrapped him up. Now, as I was studying this, I thought, was there somebody else there helping? You think about that. Or was it just she and Joseph? The Bible doesn't tell us. It tells us all we need to know. But you think about that. She brought forth her firstborn son. That is a big deal. My wife, I've seen my wife have seven children. It's a major deal. And she brought forth her firstborn son, Savior of the world. Wrapped him in swaddling clothes, probably torn pieces of clothing. Laid him in a manger. We, We sang about that this morning. That is a feeding trough for animals. She laid him in that. And then the other thing about that verse, as a matter of fact, that's verse 7, powerful verse. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, and there was no room for him in the end. No room. You know, our world doesn't like to have room for Jesus, even today. But we had better make room for him. He's the most important. We'd better make room for him. So things were tough. It looked like one issue after another, but God was working his plan. You know, the longer I live, young people, you need to to understand this as well. It took me a long time to realize this. Life is about, it it consists of this, getting knocked down, getting up, getting knocked down, getting up, getting knocked down, getting up. Do you, you feel that way sometimes? One issue after another. It's important to get back up. See, the, it seemed like with this, this couple, I'm, I'm telling you, when they were up in Nazareth, uh, 
I believe there was gossip flying all around about them. And here they're, they're, they make this trek of 80 miles uphill. She's on a donkey. He's walking. It's tough. And uh, one issue after another, but God was working his plans. You ever feel like that? One issue after another? One problem. I praise God for this verse. You write this verse down. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's, he's talking about his children. God says, Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's in that context of that verse, it's talking about being covetous or being content. And God says, look, get your mind right. I will never leave you or forsake you. And so right here this morning, do you feel like that it's one issue after another? Or maybe you're trying to chase some dream out there with the emphasis on you. I'm telling you, you got to get the emphasis off yourself. Caesar Augustus needed to get the emphasis off of him because he, he, he was missing the most important. Mary and Joseph had their eyes on God. I thank God for this couple. You know, the Bible tells us to praise him. I was reading uh, uh, Psalm 150 uh, late this past week. I think it was maybe even Friday I was reading that. And, you know, we're told to praise God no matter what, with whatever. We praise him. And I praise God. I praise God for this young couple who stayed the course. Even though it was tough, they endured a lot. And she gave birth to the true Savior of the world. So Octavian, Caesar Augustus, had no power outside of what God allowed him to have. Mary and Joseph, it looked like they were alone, but God, God was with them. Now let's look at the shepherds. The shepherds spread the good news. They did spread the the good news. They spread the gospel. Look at verse 8. It says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord. One angel. Now, I don't know which angel this is, but I know over in chapter 1, Gabriel comes twice. He appears to Zacharias, and then he appears to Mary. Now, I don't know if this is Gabriel. The Bible doesn't tell us. It gives us what we need to know. And it says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, came upon the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now, these Bethlehem shepherds, I've been in this area. I've seen that. There's shepherding even today in Israel. It's a major deal. But the Bethlehem shepherds, note now, Bethlehem is about five miles outside of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is where the temple was. Bethlehem shepherds were known to care for the temple flock. Now, these men may have, they may, the Bible doesn't tell us that 
that's what these shepherds were doing. But the Bethlehem shepherds were known for doing that. And they may have, these guys may have also protected the, the lambs, the temple lambs that were used for sacrifice. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. I just think that's interesting to think. But it was probably a quiet night, a silent night, dark night, no doubt. And then this angel shows up. And the angel preaches the gospel. Look what it says. It says, he's shown, and the, it says in verse 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. He is literally preaching the gospel to these shepherds. He is preaching the gospel to these outcasts. Shepherds were on the low rung, about as low as you can go. And this angel appears to them. And he says in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, torn pieces of cloth, lying in a manger, an animal trough. And then it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Now when it says heavenly hosts, now that's a host of angels. Sometimes when you see the word hosts in, in, uh, in the Bible, when it's refer- referencing angels, sometimes that's a military host of angels. I don't know about that in this particular case. It's a host of angels. And uh, they are praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass... As the angels were gone away from from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And verse 16 says, And they came with haste. Now I'm presuming that probably one or two of them stayed there to keep the sheep. You guys stay here. We're going. More than likely. I don't know that, though. And it says, They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. I praise God for that. It's special to think about that these shepherds, who may have kept, may have cared for the temple lambs, they were the first to see the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now look down at verse 17. It says, And when they had seen it, when they had seen the babe, when they saw the sign, they made known abroad the the saying, that's verse 17, which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Now look what it says about Mary. And Mary kept all these things. She kept all these things. She pondered them in her heart. I mean, this was a big day in her life. 
And verse 20, and the shepherds returned, listen listen to this, glorifying and praising God for all the the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. These shepherds spread the good news. Now, God works through all kinds of people. He worked through Caesar Augustus to accomplish his plan. In all kinds of circumstances, he worked through Mary and Joseph. That was a difficult thing in order to accomplish his plan. And right now, today, he is working. He's he's working to accomplish his plan. Our God does not quit. There is no quit in him. He works to accomplish his plan. So, number one this morning, Caesar Augustus had no power except what was given him from above. Number two, Mary and Joseph, it looked like they were alone, but God was with them, and he was doing a major work in them, through them. I praise God for that young couple. And then the shepherds, they spread the good news. I'm so thankful that that uh, they went to that manger and they saw that little baby and then they spread the good news. You know, that's an example to you and I to spread the good news. Is it not? So that's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to give the gospel right now just in case there is someone in here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. Maybe somebody sitting right within... uh, a few feet of you that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. So, Michael, has he has led us in songs this morning about this, but God loves us. He loves us greatly. And you can let your mind wander about numerous verses, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That means his one-of-a-kind, unique Son. There's no been no other like him. He's the only one he gave so that you and I could live with him forever. He wants that really, really, he wants it a lot. He wants us to live with him forever. But there's some things that have to happen first before we can. First, we have to recognize that we need a Savior. See, I can't save myself Uh, The longer I'm around me, I realize I have a long way to go. I need a Savior. I cannot get into heaven, neither can you. No one can on their own. We need the Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the only way. There is no, the Bible tells us, there's no other other way. No other method by which men may be saved. Only through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We cannot get into heaven without him. So first, we have to recognize that we need a Savior. Secondly, oh, I'm so thankful Michael sang about this. We need to believe. We need to believe that Jesus came to this earth as a little baby. He laid in that manger, the king of kings. He lived a perfect life. Never thought 
about doing anything wrong. Never did anything wrong. That is amazing to me. And then at just the right time, God's timing, Satan tried to snuff it out. Satan tried to stop it, and he couldn't. At just the right time, Jesus died on a, a cross, a horrible death. A, a, he was perfect and is perfect, but he died on the cross. He took the sins of the world, my sin, your sin, everybody's sin that has ever lived and that will live. He took all that sin upon himself and then took the wrath of a holy God upon that sin. It was tough. And then... After three days, he rose again, and look, look, he is alive today. So we have to recognize that we need a Savior, and then we have to believe. That's what we sang about this morning. And then, here it is, we have to ask him to be our Savior. I did that when I was 12 years old. We have to ask him, call upon him to be our Savior. Now, there's a lot involved in that, and I want to make this real clear. Okay, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about saying some words. You got to make sure you understand this. I'm not talking about saying a, a a phrase. Oh, I'm in. Now, there's some things we need to say. Yes, Lord, would you save me? I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I'm in that group that all have sinned. Lord, I believe. I believe what you say. I believe who you are. Would you be my Savior? And I submit my life to you. Now, that's key. See, I'm not talking about saying a, uh, just a few words and I'm in. But a submission, I am submitting my life to you, Lord. See, I don't want to sell you a bill of goods this morning if you're in here and you're lost. Because that is dangerous to believe, well, I can say these words and I'm in. And then I can live any way I want. Uh-uh. See, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I say. See, what he's talking about is it's, it's a person that, that calls on him to be their Savior, and they submit their life to him. Will they sin? Yes, we live in a sinful, in, in sinful flesh. We live, we're going to sin, but he has provided a means of forgiveness to put us back into harmony. So you, you want to know if you're saved? Check your life. Check your life. See, 1 John says this. Here's how you know. This is, this is 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says if you, he says, here's how you know if you know him. Keep his commandments. Do what he says. Oh, I, I became, I, you know, that, that night that I received Jesus as my Savior, I was lost as could be. And I realized, I, I, I realized I need a Savior. And I believed with all my heart this. As Brother Matthew, Brother Bill Matthews, in front of everybody, led me to the Lord. And I wanted to submit my life to him. That's what it was all about. Now, there have been times since that time that I have lived like a knucklehead. And he had me. I didn't have myself. You see that? I cannot save myself. But I have a Savior. 
But what we have to look at is, our, what, is our, what is the pattern of our life? Are we seeking Him? Are we submitting our lives to Him? Let's stand together. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for Caesar Augustus and that example that you have given us there in Luke. Thank you that, uh, that no one has any power outside of what you've given. No one. No one. Lord, thank you for Mary and Joseph. Thank you that